Hey, welcome to Bad Apple. Today, we're going a bit left of centre of our usual true crime cases. I guess we usually cover murder, disappearances, kidnappings, that sort. But true crime, it goes beyond that. <laughs> Art heists, money, laundering, prison breaks, spies. We have a whole nother world to dive into. And you didn't say your name, Riz. You didn't say your name. I'm Helen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Riley. <laughs> I think you know that by now. Yes, anyway, today we're going to do more of a unique case. Although recently we did Harold Holt, which I feel like is in a similar vein. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to continue that vibe. Yeah. Today. These are so... They're not like... I'm not saying that I have a preference for what kind of cases I like, but these you, I feel like I learn so much more. Me too. Um, writing and researching these cases than I do with like a serial killer or something like that. Uh, yeah, and there's just there's already so much about those. Mm. But been there, done that. Yeah. But has anyone been there and done this? Don't well, know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, today we're going to be talking about the sinking of the Rainbow Warrior. Now, I didn't know this, but France is some kind of nuclear pioneer state. The French nuclear program started, like most nuclear programs, with the spark of World War II in 1939. At the beginning, it was mostly focused on providing energy to fuel France's war efforts and not for making atomic bombs. However, with the German invasion of France in May 1940, the research was put on hold and France had to hide their supplies. So they were moving around all this uranium and heavy water. Damn. Because now I know everything about nuclear science. She's a apparently. nuclear physicist. <laughs> She's coming for you, Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah, they had to keep moving around and hiding it from the Germans. So that put a bit of a halt on their research. But after World War II, France got to continue their work in nuclear power and eventually nuclear weapons. The French president at the time, Charles de Gaulle, I hope that's how you pronounce it, and I kind of speak a bit of French, so that no, would be a shame. I'm relying on you here. <laughs> oh, God. As usual. <laughs> he saw nuclear weapons as essential in maintaining French independence and power. He also wanted to make France more independent from NATO, which was the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It was basically a military alliance that came together after World War II. And the opposing alliance to this was the Warsaw Pact. Basically, everyone is just making clear who's with who if World War Three breaks out. Very fun. Wonder how that has aged. I think it's still in, still happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I wonder if there's like people that are in it and they're like, oh, we're actually not friends with her anymore. But right. <laughs> yeah, everyone picked the team after World War Two. Yeah, and now they've they're stuck. Which is great energy, isn't it? Can't we all be friends? <laughs> isn't no. that the point? Oh. We have to pick sides. That's great. That's good. I love how conflict works, Helen. <laughs> when it was founded, NATO included countries in North America and Europe, and most noticeably, the UK and the US. But the French president never liked this pact, and the UK and US were sharing info about nuclear technology, but not really with France. I think France felt a bit left out. They were like, guys, guys. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Guys, what? You always leave me out. Who are you talking about? You're being mean to me. It's like when it's like when you have a when you had a crush on someone in primary school and you gave them like a code name. Yeah. So like you and your best friend could talk about it and your other friends didn't know. You know what? That is uh it's not a great feeling. Yeah. I, if I was France, I would be annoyed. Plus France is so small. But this is That's a complex. This is France energy. France energy. 
<laughs> this whole episode is just going to be me saying France and you saying France. France. Yeah, that's true. I reckon this is this is kind of France energy though. Don't you reckon? Yes. They're yes. just kind of like they're just like not quite included and they're getting real pissed about it. <laughs> they're like, "You're not telling us anything." <laughs> I think France has like a really revolutionary energy. They are always kicking up. Yeah, they are. Like with the government, they're never happy with stuff, which like cool. I mean, great energy. Yeah. But I just find that I feel like it's a motif in yeah. history. They really internalized that revolution. Yeah. And they're like, this is who we are now. Les Mis. Yeah. And I think they use their song in Les Mis when they're revolutioning. <laughs> they start singing. And I'm like, man, you're really into that. Look, France was not happy with um, the NATO mood, the NATO vibes, mm-hmm. and what the UK and US were doing. So they withdrew in 1966 from NATO, but they didn't completely leave because they couldn't do that. There were rules preventing that with mm-hmm. the countries because, uh, yeah. <laughs> because of stuff like this. Exactly. <laughs> but it did gain them some independence in their nuclear interests. And it made a statement, which is the most important. Yeah. They were like, we don't like you. Goodbye. France is also they all left the about group that. <laughs> you know when someone leaves the group chat to be dramatic? Yeah. <laughs> that was France. And then a couple of days later, they, they like message one person like, hey, can you add me back in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1966... France began testing nuclear weapons in French Polynesia. My geography is so bad. So French Polynesia is that cluster of islands between New Zealand and the US, like Tahiti. That's it. That's all I know from there and a yeah. couple other places. I, I think Tahiti is the only, like... It's the capital. It's the only, like, real place you would probably go in French Polynesia. For unless tourism. Yeah, unless you were, like, French Polynesian and yeah. you, your home was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a group of islands in the South Pacific that France colonized in that whole colonization era. Mm, 1700s Mm. vibes. So I think it's kind of whack now that they've decided just to bomb their overseas country on the other side of the world. They're like, where do we test these nuclear weapons? Oh, oh, what about them? (laughs) What about French Polynesia? You remember that? What about that piece of land we got? Yeah. Yeah. Like 200 years ago. Yeah. Dogs. Gosh. Five years later, environmental organization Greenpeace was founded with a goal, quote, to ensure the ability of the Earth to nurture life in all its diversity. Greenpeace acquired the Rainbow Warrior in 1977. Well, I guess we haven't said it up to now, but the Rainbow Warrior is a ship, by the way. Yeah, you're about to say that. I know, but this whole time, we're like talking about the Rainbow Warrior, and I guess I said sinking. You know, what else sinks? Yeah. So, yeah, previously the boat was a trawler named Sir Thomas Hardy. Tom Hardy! Tom not, Hardy. Not that Tom Hardy, hey? I think it might be the author Tom Hardy. Oh, yeah. And had been commissioned by the UK Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food. A fishing trawler is like one of those boats that drags nets behind to catch fish. Like Nemo. The end of Nemo. Well, the fish are in the net. They're like, swim down! Yeah, and they break the, try I, and break the net. I guess that's a trawler? Riz, yeah. I was like, I don't know what a trawler is. Yeah. I'm from a... Riz is like, you don't know what a trawler is! <laughs> You live on a trawl. I'm from the <laughs> You're from what? Fishing Island. No, I just I think there's a there's a bit of fishing where I'm from. Rockhampton. Near, near the water. Yeah, we have a big ass river. Oh. I was like, you're not by the water. You have no, a river. We have a fat river. That's why it's called Rockhampton. What does Hampton mean? Like water. River. Damn. Yeah. Rock water. There's rocks in the river. Because there's big rocks in the river. You can't go up too far. Really? Yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I never thought too much about that. Well, you know all about fishing, then. Yeah, there's they catch prawns and shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
The Rainbow Warrior was named after a North American Cree Indian prophecy, which was, quote, when the world is sick and dying, the people will rise up like warriors of the rainbow. Wow. Damn. We need to rise up like warriors of the rainbow. <sighs> True. Here is a description of the ship for non-ship literate people, which I would identify as. The body of the ship is like dark green, and it has green piece written in white on the side with a painting of a dove of peace carrying an olive branch. And towards the front, along the hull, which I've just learned now is like what the, the sides. Like the body, yeah. The body is painted a rainbow, like the stripes colours of a rainbow. Kind of cool looking ship. It does look kind of cool. And it aged well. Yeah. Still looks cool. Yeah. And it had like these big sails. Kind of look like a sailboat to me, but it's obviously not. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's part it's part sailboat. All right. It's a hybrid. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's what they call them. Right. A hybrid boat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I you know. do know stuff about boats. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. I am a seaman. <laughs> <laughs> the ship took part in a number of high-profile campaigns, including anti-whaling, anti-seal hunting, anti-nuclear testing and anti-nuclear waste dumping campaigns during the late 70s and early 80s. In 1985, a treaty is signed declaring the South Pacific a nuclear-free zone. This treaty was signed by both New Zealand and Australia. Teamwork. Yay! Here we are working together. This is really what kind of kicks everything off. The French are pissed off that we don't want them blowing up the South Pacific anymore. In the same year, the Rainbow Warrior relocates 300 citizens from the Ronjalap Atoll in the Marshall Islands, which had been polluted by radiation from American nuclear tests. Greenpeace intended to lead a flotilla of yachts into the Muraroa Atoll in French Polynesia to protest against nuclear testing. Flotilla. Yeah, flotilla. Is that what you call a group of yachts? Yeah, a group of boats, right? It's a flotilla because they float. <laughs> well, it's not spelt like float. It's spelt like flotilla. I think they just got rid of the A for convenience. Previously, protest ships in Muraroa had been boarded by French commandos after they had sailed into the shipping exclusion zone around the atoll. Probably uh, don't go into the shipping exclusion zone, because that yeah. that, if you take your boat in there, you might... Run on the reefs. Run, which, I mean, you might endorse <laughs> as a reef killer. <laughs> What are you meant to do? Is I got into the ocean once and I like accidentally stepped on some reef. Like I crushed it with my foot and I got scratches all up my leg. And now Riz won't let me live it down. How do you? How are you meant to go out into the ocean when there's a lot of reef? Then what do you fly over Float? there? Float. Float. I don't know. Maybe you're meant to go in another way. Okay, maybe I kill the small village of uh, fish houses. Yeah. Stop looking at my foot, Riz. <laughs> reef killer foot. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, these boats went into the shipping exclusion zone. That's what they did wrong. That's, so don't do that. But I guess the French are blowing up the same reef. So maybe it's an eye for an eye. I also imagine, like, when you said, like, French commandos boarded the ship, I imagined these men, like, swinging off. <laughs> swinging like, off. Like, Mission pirates. Impossible. <laughs> like, pirates, and they have, like, white pants and big, like, knee high boots and, like, Napoleon. Looking really French. With swords? Yeah. French commandos, like, how do you picture it? That's why they swing onto the I boat. was picturing, like, full military get-up and, like, s like really thin sunnies. Oh, yeah. Like, 90s Matrix sunnies. <laughs> and, like, little berets. <laughs> and, like, and like 
combat boots and they like oh yeah and they like on their little boat they Off like the y- climb up the ladder and they're yeah. like the yellow French are like that's how I imagine it. <sighs> the reason Greenpeace went to the Muraroa Atoll is because they wanted to monitor the impact of nuclear tests and have people on the island monitoring the blasts. That's bold. Yeah, that is intense. Just waiting to get nuked. So the Rainbow Warrior heads to Auckland after relocating the Marshall Islanders to prepare for the protest in French Polynesia. There's a large Greenpeace headquarters in Auckland, in Mount Eden. Yeah, or in Maori, Mungafau. Mungafau. Mm-hmm. Cute. That's where I'm from, yeah. by the way. Small world. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't know I lived in Greenpeace Central. <laughs> While it's parked up in the Auckland Harbour, French agents posing as supporters or tourists step onto the ship, getting a look around while it was open for public viewing. Around the same time, General Directorate for External Security Agent Christine Cabon posed as an environmentalist named Frederique Bonlieu and infiltrated the Greenpeace office in Auckland. There, Cabon monitored communications with the ship, collected maps, and just did some shady spy stuff. That's like a thing in Auckland, is whenever a big ship docks Mm -hmm. on the wharf, it's like open for viewing and everyone goes and walks around on it. Oh yeah. You wouldn't know because you only have a river. Yeah. (laughs) But like... The big ships can't come up there. Yeah. And like, like the Queen Mary. That was a big... Is that that cruise one? (laughs) Yeah. And even if you weren't going on the cruise, you might go check out, walk around the ship and right. stuff. Right. That's kind of cool. Totally a thing. Right. Interesting. Yeah. On the 10th of July, 1985, it was crew member Steve Sawyer's birthday, and the relief cook had baked a chocolate cake. Other crew members celebrated with the cake and a few drinks in the ship's mess. I love how Riz wrote this info like I knew anything about ships. I was like, what the heck is a mess? <laughs> but I'll tell you now, because I know uh, ships. Mm-hmm. The mess is where everyone hangs out and eats, and on the Rainbow Warrior, it was just below the deck. Nice. The dick. The dick? Yeah. They would say. In New Zealand. (laughs) New Zealand? (laughs) At 11.38pm, there was a flash of electric blue in the water beside the boat as the first bomb detonates, and the explosion blasts a hole in the hull of the ship about the size of a car. The ship's engineer, Davy Edwards, had been up in the mess, but upon the explosion, he ran to the engine room. He was hardly able to open the door as it was basically like a huge steam bath. Hot engine, cold water, with more water coming in through the newly formed hole in the ship's side. The ship's captain, Pete Wilcox, was asleep but jolted awake and stumbled down to the engine room. Like Davy, he realised there was no hope and yells, Abandon ship! Everybody get the hell out of here! The ship capsized towards the wharf but didn't sink completely. All crew evacuated, but soon reboarded to film damage and investigate. A Portuguese-Dutch photographer, Fernando Pereira, went below deck to get his camera equipment. Man, shout out to our guy Davy Edwards. That's such engineer energy. Yeah. He's like, something's wrong. Runs to the engine room. Yeah, and it's an steaming explosion. up. Man, he had a job to do, and he was going to do it. Yeah. However, with some people now back on board, At 11.45pm, a second bomb detonates. So this is seven minutes after the first bomb. So the photographer, Fernando, was in his cabin, and after this blast, the cabin filled up almost instantly with water, and he wasn't able to escape. He drowned in the rapid flooding, trapped in his cabin with his camera bag tangled around one of his legs. Upon the second explosion, other crew members evacuated or were thrown into the water by the blast, and at 11.49, the Rainbow Warrior sank. 
At 1am, Elaine Shaw, the director of Greenpeace New Zealand, is contacted by a New Zealand Herald reporter wanting to talk about the Rainbow Warrior. She says, quote, At one o'clock in the morning! And the reporter is like, quote, Oh, I'm sorry, didn't you know? Your ship's been sunk. <laughs> and Elaine hung up. <laughs> She's like, nah. Maybe she thought it was a prank. Yeah. Then a radio station calls through and she replies, quote, no, I don't know anything about it. I mean, why would she? She was sleeping. Yeah. She went down there after that. Yeah. She was like, damn, I guess I better check it out. True. Once initial investigations revealed that the explosions on the boat were caused by bombs that were placed there intentionally, Greenpeace were quick to point the finger at France, who had been annoyed at Greenpeace's opposition to the nuclear testing in the South Pacific. They now have to cancel the voyage, as the fleet organiser Jim Keogh said, quote, There's no way they could go without the rainbow. This has certainly saved the French a lot of trouble. Two days later, the French embassy in Wellington, the capital of New Zealand, put out a statement basically denying any French involvement in the incident. In no way is France involved, it declared. The French government doesn't deal with its opponents in such ways. The fact that they've, in this statement, have said deal with its opponents is a red flag. The energy is there. Because you all were allies. We were! We helped France out. We sent men over there in both world wars. No one came to New Zealand. I mean, the war wasn't in New yeah, Zealand. Yeah. But a lot of New Zealand men died on French soil. Mm. Not long after this, a couple were stopped while returning their van to an Auckland car hire company. Elaine and Dominique had entered New Zealand as Sophie and Elaine Turinge, posing as a newlywed couple on their honeymoon. But because they were carrying their original Swiss passports, they got found out as French Secret Service agents on fake documents. Bum, bum, bum. What an oversight. Yeah. Upon their arrest, the true story comes out. Under government order, Operation Satanique, with the goal to prevent Greenpeace leading the protest to French Polynesia, went underway. This was done under the action branch of the French Foreign Intelligence Services. Here I go. Here I go. Mm-hmm. The Direction Générale de la Sécurité Extérieure. My God. French boys, hit me up. Yeah, I can still okay. speak. <laughs> also, what is a petty officer? <laughs> yeah, how funny that they're all called petty officer. It's just like someone that, I think it's like maybe one below an officer. The day oh. that I understand military rankings, mm. pigs will fly. But I'm the chief petty officer, to be honest. <laughs> you are the chief petty officer. <laughs> anyway, the next, we, we're laughing about this, but the next sentence basically in the script is, Chief Petty Officer Roland Verge, Petty Officer <laughs> Jean-Michel Bartello, which I guess is the guy under the chief petty officer, mm-hmm. and the other petty officer, Gerard Andrias, imported the limpet mines to New Zealand aboard the French yacht Ovia. I don't know what that means. Elaine and Dominique collected the mines and delivered them to a pair of divers, Jean Camas and Jean-Luc Kister. These two divers went and attached them to the Rainbow Warrior. After the bombs detonated and Elaine and Dominique were captured, the three agents who imported the bombs on the Ovia left in that vessel. They were detained on Norfolk Island, which is off the Australian coast, They couldn't be kept there, though, because it seems like there was a lack of evidence. So they left Norfolk Island and sailed to Tahiti and were collected in Tahiti by a French nuclear submarine on July 22nd. Damn. A little bit of Tahiti. Hmm. The Ovia was then deliberately sunk. Well, they know how to do that, don't they? (laughs) Oh, damn. (laughs) You know what it's called when you deliberately sink a ship? 
scuttled. Scuttling. Oh, really? Yeah, scuttling the ship. Damn. Maybe my New Zealand nationalism will come through soon now. I'm trying to hold it back. <laughs> I'm really trying. It was the first time a French nuclear submarine had been known to enter the South Pacific. The two divers, along with some other intelligence agents, took a ferry to the South Island and posed as tourists. They went to Mount Hutt and went skiing for 10 days, after which they left the country on false documents. Damn, living the life. They, we got them going to Tahiti, Mount Hutt skiing. Damn, these Just spies. Glorified holiday. It's almost like they're spies and they can do spy shit. Anyway, Christine Cabon, who had been working at the Greenpeace office, left New Zealand for Israel right before the bombs went off. Auckland police requested that Israeli authorities detain her, but a little bird tipped off Cabon and she fled before she could be arrested. She now lives in retirement in La Sobeta. Yeah. La Sobeta. La Sobeta. In the southwest of France, where she is a local councillor and a respected member of the community. Apparently. Apparently. She's, Can't believe you can just do that. Just outrun ch- the law. <laughs> yeah, well, international... Yeah, it gets a bit messy. does get a bit messy, doesn't it? Why aren't we united? Oh, yeah, because we can't do that. We hate each other. Yeah. We're all about conflict. Yeah. This whole story is... Elaine and Dominique were charged with murder and willful damage to a ship by means of an explosive, which is a bit of a unique offence. Mm. I bet they're glad they kept that in there from the, from the pirate era. Yeah. But... They made a plea deal for the lesser offence of manslaughter and were sentenced to 10 years imprisonment. Their guilty plea ensured that the details of the police investigation were never made public. Mm. So France couldn't be, couldn't be dragged through the dirt. Mm. France was pretty annoyed that New Zealand had caught their two agents. And Whoa, big whoop. <laughs> Hire better agents. Fuck. They were skiing and shit. Were these two skiing? No, these were the ones that tried to return the van and had... Had all their documents. Oh, well, dumb fuckers. <laughs> France was annoyed. Yeah. Check yourself. They were like, um, let them out. And then <laughs> because they, because you'd imprisoned two of their agents, yeah. they boycotted New Zealand imports. <gasps> Not the sheep. Mm. <laughs> they also threatened an economic embargo of New Zealand exports to the European economic community if Elaine and Dominique were not released. This would have crippled the New Zealand economy, which relied heavily on agricultural exports. In June of 1986, France agreed to pay 13 million New Zealand dollars to New Zealand in a political deal and apologise in return for Elaine and Dominique, who would be detained at the French military base on Howe Atoll for three years. However, the two agents returned to France by May of 1988, which means they spent less than two years in detainment. Elaine returned to France in December of 1987 to get some medical treatment and walked free after that. He continued to serve in the French army and was promoted to colonel in 1993. Dominique returned to France in May 1988. She was pregnant as her husband had been allowed to join her on the atoll. She was freed, I guess, and later promoted as well. That's very Chicago. Don't know if you've watched, if you guys have seen Chicago, but there's like that that part where Billy Flynn gets Roxy pregnant and then tricks everyone into thinking it's her husband's, mm. but it's actually the prison doctor's. R- right, right. Because he wants some sympathy. And then, so you can get released if you're pregnant? Well, m- maybe from the French military base. Right. How convenient. Yeah. This, like, this was kind of shady that they released them both and was ruled to be a violation of the 1986 agreement that you guys had. 
What agreement? The agreement that they would pay you some money and you would send them to I the know, French base. I know, I'm joking. Oh, right. Clear, what agreement? What agreement? There never was one. <laughs> no, clearly. We got played. You got played. But I have to say, it is kind of shitty that the agents have to pay the price of France being dickheads. Yeah. Like, I get it. Like, But why are we punishing the spies? I feel like that's such a um, red herring. Mm. The problem is bigger than these two people. Yeah, you're right. So you're I'm not right. that mad. I'm not that mad. Mm-hmm. I'll recover. She's not that mad. I'm glad she probably got to go have her baby and, you know, yeah. whatever. The French government was pressured into setting up its own inquiry due to the international outcry. Less than three weeks after the bombing, the French government announced, quote, On the basis of the information available to me at this time, I do not believe there was any French responsibility. To me. <laughs> to me. I think this the was government this is was, first I think person. this was made by the um director of the yeah. of the security mm-hmm. people. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say that name. They announced that there were active French agents in New Zealand, but that they were only spying on Greenpeace and had nothing to do with the bombing. Then French president Francois Mitterrand threatened that any protesters at Muraroa that year would be arrested. And he's not letting up. Yeah. Chill out. I don't know what authority he has to be like, oh, yeah. we're going to arrest you. Anyway. It is on French Polynesia, their land. Yeah, I guess so. Guess they can bomb it and do whatever they want there. I guess so. The inadequate inquiry only fueled the fires of international anger and further undermined the French government's credibility. And a second inquiry was ordered on the 5th of September, 1985. Not long after this second inquiry was announced, the London Times ran a story which contradicted the French government's claims, saying that President Mitterrand was aware of the bombing planned, therefore had authorised it implicitly. On September 22nd, Prime Minister Fabius, French Prime Minister, admitted that French Secret Service agents had bombed the Rainbow Warrior under government orders. Now you're like, Prime Minister, President, what's going on over Mm -hmm. there? They've got both. Yeah, they do have both. I think it's a bit of a... Just like a leftover thing from the revolution. Yeah. Like all of France. <laughs> Sorry. That was nah, so Nah, they bombed our ship. <laughs> and I think the president has more say about French military action and stuff. I don't know what the prime minister yeah, does. Yeah, I think the president is like the top dog. Mm. And the prime minister is, is like a... He's more of like a secretary or... Of the president. I think he's like the prime... The most prime of all ministers. That would be the if all the ministers had one minister that, that oversaw them, it's him. Right. Yeah. He read a 200-word statement to journalists in his office that said, quote, the truth is cruel, and agents of the French Secret Service sank this boat. They were acting on orders. New Zealand Prime Minister David Lange said that the bombing was nothing more than, quote, a sordid act of international state-backed terrorism. Go for it, David. You tell him, David. Go in. Following the violation of the 1986 arrangement, in 1990, the French Secretary General awards New Zealand another $3.5 million to establish the New Zealand-France Friendship Fund. <laughs> yeah. What, were you going to go out I'm and crawling do, back do to a us. couple activities together yeah, and hopefully yeah. be friends again? Yeah, maybe that was the shtick. In 1991, the French Prime Minister Michel Rocard visited New Zealand and delivered a personal apology. He said it was, quote, to turn the page in the relationship and to say, if we had known each other better, this thing never would have happened. <laughs> Michelle. Don't rile me up like that, Michelle. Known each other better. This is such a <laughs> this is such a ex-boyfriend thing to say. Yeah. When you're like, You you really hurt me, I'm still working through this trauma. And he's like, Well, if we'd known each other better, like 
It never would have happened. Ra ra ra. Not my actually, eyes could roll out of their head. Not taking any responsibility. Could they send us like five hundred croissants instead. I feel like that'd be better. Maybe better attempt it. They needed all your butter to make their croissants. Oh yeah, get fucked, your <laughs> butterless croissants. Bet those taste like good cardboard. Dry ass croissant. <laughs> Single layer croissant. <laughs> and if you're wondering where the ship, the Rainbow Warrior itself, is now, we're gonna look around. And on DiveNZ.com, it says, quote, After the bombing, Greenpeace gifted the warrior to the sea, and she now lies as an artificial reef in the Kavili Islands, a refuge for the marine life she was sunk trying to protect. At a max depth of 26 metres, the warrior is now home to a huge variety of aquatic life and is a world-renowned dive site. Look, that's kind of sweet, huh? Yeah. A single tear for the boat. <laughs> I think they like salvaged it to see if they could repair it or whatever. Yeah. But she had some big holes. Damage. Damn. Some massive damage. Yeah. Since the original Rainbow Warrior went under, there have been two new ships which have carried on the legacy. Greenpeace used part of the $13 million they received in 1987 to help finance the Rainbow Warrior 2. And in 2011, the Rainbow Warrior 3 was built continuing the spirit of the Rainbow Warrior. It was the world's first purpose-built environmental campaigning ship. Which is cool. That is cool. It's a cool ship. It's very um, efficient. Yeah. Good for the environment, but yeah. that's in line, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Keeps its emissions very low, which I imagine maybe the Rainbow Warrior 1, as an ex-fishing trawler, was not the most environmental. That's true. So we've upgraded. But it was because they were recycling. That's true. Yeah, true. That shit would have just been torn apart. And thrown away. Yeah. Look, it's kind of hard to recover from something like that as a country. And France and... Oh, I just said France. I'm turning into you. France. And France and New Zealand, like we all know, were allies. New Zealanders sent men over by the thousands to help out France in the two world wars. And the failure of Western leaders to condemn this violent act caused an upsurge in New Zealand nationalism in what was described as New Zealand's silent war of independence. The US and UK basically did nothing while France worked to block New Zealand exports because, what, we detained spies that blew up our ship? Yeah. Right. Okay. So New Zealand started building relationships with small South Pacific nations and Australia! Hey, we're on the scene. (laughs) Well, I'm here today. All a result of this. Mm-hmm. You could say this brought us together, Riz. Wow. <laughs> <A> bigger picture. <laughs> it wasn't in vain. And to a lesser extent, the UK. We were like, fine. Yeah. Fine. If we have to. But New Zealand kind of distanced itself from the US. Fair enough. Yeah. Good early call there. <laughs> <laughs> we were onto it. So when I started researching this uh, case, I was like, wow, like, I like bet this is going to be some really cool, like... James Bond spy shit, like cool, like cinematic, as I apparently always think things are. But in reality, it was quite messy mm-hmm. and um, not very well done. Mm. And I like saw a couple pictures of the of the spies and the divers and stuff, and none of them looked like Henry Cavill and the Man from Uncle. So, yeah, <laughs> I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I thought they were gonna look really cool. Oh. That's maybe a high bar. Yeah, a bit too high. Mm. My bad. Yeah, I feel a bit torn. Growing up in New Zealand, mm-hmm. studying French in high school for seven years. Mm-hmm. I guess they managed to repair it somehow. 
because I loved my teacher, Monsieur Cuer. <laughs> Monsieur Cuer, but he listening. was from New Caledonia. Oh, I think. No, I've always wanted to go there. So yeah, I can't believe we just <laughs> we don't really talk about this much in New Zealand. Like I know what happened, mm-hmm. but I didn't know this much about it. And in fact, I didn't even know that much about the tension. To be I honest. guess it was quite a long time ago. That's true. Maybe you've um, time heals all wounds. Maybe you've moved on a little. Mm. But like casual, like if this happened anywhere else. Yeah. If someone did that to an American boat in America, oh, go. They would be. War. They would be flattened by now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. We were just lucky that New Zealanders are chill. New Zealand just doesn't have the energy to be out there. Like, being vindictive. We don't do that. They're too busy being nice to everyone. We're spreading the aroha. It's love. Ah, the aroha. Yeah. I watched a doco interviewing one of the two divers who attached the bomb to the boat. The bombs. And he he was, like, apologizing. He's, like, pretty old now. Mm -hmm. Like, 30 years on from this, basically. And, look, I ain't mad at any of the individual people here. Just disappointed in the French government. <laughs> yeah. Because, I'm just... Yeah. I'm so sure that there would have been another way for them to prevent this protest going ahead, or at least, like, mitigate the protest, I guess, mm. without just, like, blowing up the ship and killing someone. Yeah. Like, why not just, like, either let them come and, like, just, you know, deal with the fact that what you're doing is making people upset, or, like, t- try something else. To stop them. Yeah. And the diver was very adamant that they, like, did their best to... Like, they made sure, quote-unquote, mm. that their bomb bombs weren't going to kill anyone. Which is why the first one was, like, further up the boat. Yep. And there was, like, a amount of time yeah. between the two. Because they were, like... The first one will go off. It will, like, you know... Everyone will alert everyone. They'll get off the boat. Mm-hmm. And it won't completely sink the boat. And then when everyone's off, the second one will go off and the boat will sink. And, like, look, I get that. I get it. Mm-hmm. But overall, just the intention and the energy is so... Why are you doing that? Yeah. So unnecessary. They must... Greenpeace must have really been annoying the whole of France. Gosh. Bigger picture, France. Bigger picture. Yeah. If it wasn't Greenpeace, it would have been some other environmental organization. Like, I feel some like at this time... Some other anti-nuclear... Yeah. Yeah. At this time, it was all about that. Yeah. Anti-nuclear, environment, peace... Yeah. You know? And why were you why are you blowing up French Polynesia for? Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> Firstly. Yeah. What for what? And what what when have you ever needed that information? Nuclear weapons. When has that ever been useful? I think they might be the fourth leading Really? Yeah, I'm telling you, they're some kind of like nuclear state. Mm-hmm. Like they have they do now have like a lot of knowledge and resources about nuclear weapons. But like world peace everyone. Mm. Let it go. Yeah, damn. <laughs> we're still like we're still staying pressed over shit that happened so long ago. Like yeah. we're we're remaining annoyed. Take a leaf out of New Zealand's book. Yeah, they let it out. go. We they let, let it, go. it go. They're not friends with you anymore, but they let it go. So yeah. Maybe just do that next time. I'll tell you what they did. France has provided money for Fernando's family. Yeah. Um, in like a settlement. That was, what's that word? Where you like... Mitigate. Mitigate? It's not mitigate. Anyway. Manage. There was like a a negotiation that took place that was like managed by the UN. Yeah. They like oversaw the whole 
negotiation and right. yeah justice for this photographer he just went back to get his equipment yeah because none of that none of his stuff were being backed up it was all film yeah there was no cloud yeah he was doing the most yeah and i wouldn't put that past me if i was a photographer yeah if i had the equivalent like to go back for because like the first bomb went off why would you expect a second one to go yeah. off yeah let me say one more thing about fernando he was born in um south america and the reason that he went and joined Greenpeace was because he was about to get, like, conscribed into the um, mm. army. Yeah. Because there was a lot of civil unrest where he was from. So he ran off and joined Greenpeace and then yeah. got killed anyway Damn. in a in some, like, some war thing. That's like, that's like that Kung Fu Panda moment when Master Ugwe is like, one often meets his destiny while trying to run away from it. Wow. Master Ugwe never fails to yeah. provide the goods. But that sucks. And you'd want to go to New Zealand because it's a peaceful, lovely, non-violent country. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Fernando. But I shouldn't be saying sorry. The French government should be. And they yeah. haven't really. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> like, the Prime Minister has come out and tried to make amends. But I feel like the president and the government like mm. haven't really stepped out and been like sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, they were just like have some money for yeah. your children. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thank you. Anyway. That's pretty much all we have for you today. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this slightly um off brand episode. Yeah. Maybe this is maybe this is where our brand is heading. I kind of like a new it. Brand. Let us know. Yeah. Maybe if you're like that was boring as heck, girls, go back to murders. Yeah. Then we'll we'll take that into account. But if you're like, yeah, this is lit. Yeah, if you liked it, let us know. We'll find some more Ocean's Eleven energy. Yeah. Some yeah. more James Bond yeah. spies. Alrighty. Okay. We'll see you next week. Bye.